Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and I am joined by one of my colleagues here from the University of Missouri, Zandra DeRajo. Zandra, thanks for being here again. Thanks for having me from right next door. <laughs> we are going to be talking about another one of Zandra's articles. So a year and a half ago or so, we talked about some analysis that you did with curriculum and English learners. And now we get to talk about actually a larger literature review that you did related to English learners. The article is English Learners in K-12 Mathematics Education, a Review of the Literature. And that was published recently in volume 88 of Review of Educational Research. This is a big, meaty article, I would call it. It's a monster. <laughs> um, but what you did was you did a real kind of survey of what we know in research about English learners in math education, K-12, I wanted to just ask you first, like, where the genesis of this article came from. Sure. So my co-authors and I, so my co-authors are Sarah Roberts from UCSB, Craig Willie from IUPUI, everybody has acronyms, and Bill Zahner <laughs> from San Diego State. And we have just been um, talking about what do we know with evidence about teaching and learning of mathematics with English learners. And so we thought... If we're going to look it up anyways, we might as well get a paper out of it. And mm -hmm. so that's where the idea came from, is just to get a lay of the land with what we know about English learners and math ed. So you just had a natural curiosity, like, what is the sort of sum total of the research? But you're like, let's do it systematically. Yeah, we wanted something that we could refer to again and again as we continue to work together. And we think this will serve that purpose. Yeah. So... In doing a literature review like this, what is the actual process that you went through for doing it? What are the nuts and bolts of actually putting this together? Yeah, so uh, thinking about what we want to search and what information we want to comb through was first. And as you'll see in our article, if you read it, um, we went through the ERIC database as kind of like a big collective starting point. And then we drew on your article in JRME with Ryan Nivens, okay. along with Keith Latham, and looking at top journals in our field, and then also thought about equity journals. And then we went outside of math because we thought maybe some of this be housed in language and literacy journals or broader educational research journals. So the topic of the article would still be related to mathematics, but it might have been published in a different journal. Yes, yeah. and we knew that from citing some of this work in different fields, even though it's in math, uh, math ed context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then when you pulled a list of journals that you're searching through their whole database, how far back did you go? And then how did you sort of sift through the results that all come up from a search? <laughs> so we had a lot of keywords and we talked a lot of time about um, what keywords to use. We found out that if you just search EL, uh, you get a lot of things from chemistry, for example, in Eric. <laughs> and so we had to comb through all that. But we started at 2000 because that was around the time that Samela, the center for I always get it wrong, but the math education of Latinos and Latinas, that NSF-funded center, really got kicked off and started okay. um, producing a lot of the knowledge in this area. Okay. So we cut it off at 2000. Prior to that, uh, there wasn't as much work in this area, and also it wasn't done from a sociocultural perspective as much. Mm -hmm. um, and then we cut it off at 2015, even though this came out, I think, officially in 2018, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, that's how long we've been working on this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the range, though, 2000 to 2015. Yes. Yeah. Then you ha you narrowed down to the articles that are included in the study. What sort of things did you look for when you now have your set of articles that are included? Yeah, so we came up with an inclusion and exclusion criteria. We knew we wanted to focus on K-12 context, so we excluded preschool context and then college context, so that took out some. Uh, we know that we are only 
well, myself and uh, some of the others, we can only read academically in English. Mm. Um, and so we wanted to do things that were printed in English. So that excluded some things. And we wanted to focus on students that were learning English. So there's a lot of multilingual students in different contexts, but we excluded those because we wanted to focus on English in particular because that's the issues in our country. Mm-hmm. But we did bring in articles from Australasia and Europe as well with that search. And then we wanted to focus on English learners couldn't be just part of the context, like you're running um, a study and you're just picking English learners as a variable. They had to be, the research questions had to center on the teaching and learning of mathematics with English learners as the central focus. Okay. So you've now got your included set of articles that are okay. Oh, they're they're in the literature review. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you look through those articles. Did you read the whole articles? Were you looking for certain things inside those articles? Uh, So collectively, yes, we read every article in there. (laughs) Um, Usually two people read each article because we were coding for the findings. So we had to read through the findings. We were looking at the methodology, the context. So by the end of looking through all that, we did actually read all the articles. Mm -hmm. Plus, this is our area of interest. So Mm -hmm. we just wanted to read them anyway. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we did actually read them and we coded them um all 75 of them there was actually more than that but um that's what made it into the final cut mm-hmm. okay i'm speaking with zandra diarajo about her literature review on english learners in k-12 mathematics education as a team you read those you've condensed them you systematically went through them what's um, a main theme that has really stayed with you having done this analysis maybe something that you saw across all that literature i mean it's really that um it's something that a lot of us know but Math and language are intertwined and inseparable, and students need to talk in mathematics, and they need to use language to understand and communicate mathematically. And that's just so prevalent in all the sections and subsections of this review, is that language is so central. And part of that is our framing. We took a sociocultural approach to this. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, all of the findings that we talk about are about using language and language being more expansive than just spoken and written English, but uh, gestures like I'm doing now that everybody can't see at home. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and also just visual imagery and things like that, that we use all these rich ways of communicating and they constitute our language. And that is how we communicate and be in mathematics. Mm-hmm. So say you're a teacher and you have English learners, you wouldn't serve them well by trying to like strip away the language and say, just do this symbolic computation because I'm going to try to make it easier for you or less of a struggle for you. That would, that would be counterproductive. Yes. And so that is the intuitive thing to do. So as a teacher, you want to help your students learn. And so your intuition is, well, language is the barrier because these students are learning language. So let me just take it out. And in fact, you lessen the rigor of the mathematics. And then you're also not serving them well because they have to learn how to communicate and we communicate through language. And so you're taking out all the language, but you're really not. You just think you are by taking away the words, but you're really taking away some of the resources they can use to reason through context and through um, those other parts of language. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you sort of felt as a team was missing, it kind of struck you that like, wait a minute, this is actually not there in the literature that you saw. Yeah. So um, we were really surprised. I think I can speak for my co-authors about the lack of um, findings regarding teacher education specifically. So we work in teacher ed here at Mizzou, and there's not a lot of guidance about how to prepare teachers effectively to teach English learners. It's a very small um, research base currently. So I think that was surprising to us. Mm -hmm. And if the research was about preparing like a K-12 or a middle school teacher, it would have made it in your search criteria, right? Yes. Although there's been some great articles that came out recently. I think Erin Turner and her team had one recently. And so those weren't included in this review, uh-huh. but they would be if we had 
done it over. Okay, great. Well, yeah, the literature is always, you know, expanding <laughs> sure. and then being added to. So, yeah. <laughs> I want to bring up, they've already kind of come up in this conversation, but some of the limitations. So, for example, you put a time limit of 2000 to 2015. So you miss something if it's 2016 or 2017. Um, but there's other I limits as well. I missed my own curriculum inquiry article. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There are some other limits, though, as well, like you said, about being able to read it in English. So you only looked at articles that were published in English. Can you speak a little bit about how the team thought about and sort of came to terms with the limitations that you have whenever you do a literature review like this? Yeah, it's really difficult. In this case, um, we know that a lot of equity work in our field is done in book chapters and proceedings, and we did not include those primarily because we didn't have a systematic way of tracking the research in those um, venues. Mm -hmm. So that's certainly a limitation of this, and reviewers pointed that out as well. But we just said, you know, we had to bound it some way. We had to have a systematic process. So that's a limitation. Uh, Similarly, we privileged English publications, and we were also looking at empirical articles. So there is something to be learned from other types of articles and research, but um, again, we had to make some decisions to make it manageable. And so we did lose some voices and some context, but um, I think in the end, we did represent well what's known in peer-reviewed research journals. Mm -hmm. Uh, You earlier alluded to the long timeline to getting it published. So you started, you know, the review after 2015, and then it came out late 2018 in Review of Educational Research. Talk to us a little bit about the process of submitting a literature review and then also the kind of reviews and feedback that you get for a literature review, which is a different kind of article than like a straight up empirical report. Sure. This is the first one. I think I can say this for my co-authors as well. I think this is all of our first literature review as the publication, like the form Mm -hmm. of publication. So Mm -hmm. not just doing it as a part of an article. So we had a learning curve. I'm sure we didn't do it the most efficient way. Um, (laughs) I don't know how many versions of Google spreadsheets we came up with um, trying to figure out how to capture just the vast amounts of data that we pulled from Eric and other places. It was just a big learning process. Um, it's interesting because your data collection is combing through these these articles and trying to find them and thinking about how important inclusion criteria and everything that you do, you should track. And we learned that mm-hmm. after redoing our search a couple of times <laughs> that we need to track how many articles get pulled up from what keywords and all these things that I never thought about because you do want it to be systematic in the mm-hmm. way that you clicked at Somebody else classroom. could replicate the process. Sure, yeah. yeah. And so we learned a lot about that. And then we just learned a lot about uh, working together efficiently. We're we're a great team. I think we work together great, but we get off track sometimes when we meet. Uh, but it was good because we got other things out of this collaboration as well. So I think just our friendliness with one another and us being novices in this uh, genre of writing um, extended our timeline a bit. But I think in the end, it was worth the wait. And I certainly... Uh, this was my, like, you know, dream journal to get this published in. Mm-hmm. And when we got to revise and resubmit, I think we all were in shock and so excited. Mm-hmm. The reviews of it were, um, you know, pushing us to go deeper in our analysis. I think if you read our first version of it, it was um, synthesizing the findings, but not really thinking about what everything together means for the field. And I think we did end up going deeper into just being a little bit more critical of what we found rather than just recounting the findings by the end, which Mm was, um, I'm thankful for the reviewer's feedback in making it stronger in that way. Mm -hmm. Did it meet the need that you hoped for at the beginning, like where you and and the team wanted to just kind of know what was out there? Did you feel like at the end, you're like, okay, we do have a sense now of what was out there? Yeah, I think we have a sense. Um, I also, it made me hungry for more information. So I want to know 
what's happening in contexts that aren't urban or that aren't um, in California or Texas in these places mm. with lots of English. I want to know more about my context in Missouri and what works because mm. I think different contexts necessitate different uh, strategies. And mm-hmm. I don't think we know that very well. So it made me hungry to learn more. Yeah. And also just different, you know, subgroups within English learners. You know, there's maybe Latinos mm-hmm. that are learning English, but then there could be people from completely other parts of the world and different cultures. And Right. And we don't often, like, take the time to really unpack. I mean, we're limited by word counts, right? So we can't say, like, this is newcomers or this is um, level three on the access score English learners. And those kinds of things are important when you're talking about teaching strategies. Because if I'm in a classroom with refugees that are all newcomers, I think the strategies I enact might not uh, be the same as if students that grew up in the States and are second generation language learners and things like that. Mm -hmm. I know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, Would you do another literature review, (laughs) having gone through this three-year process? Yes, and uh, I am indeed in the middle of one on Sam and I's flip project. So I'm a glutton for information, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And spreadsheets. Yes. (laughs) My guest is uh, Zandra Diarajo from the University of Missouri here. We've been talking about her literature review on English learners in K-12 mathematics education. I want to ask you one more question, though, before I let you go, and that is uh, we have the AMTE conference coming up very soon. Yeah. It's going to be in one Orlando, Florida. Orange Lando, yep. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you have planned for your uh, return to the Orlando area? Well, my mom and dad still live there, so I'm going to eat um, a lot of home cooking and go up a couple of days early and then um, hope to have some of my colleagues at my parents' house for dinner. Oh, that's great. Is there uh, a particular activity that you would recommend to AMTE attendees if they hear this in time? I mean, it's Orlando, right? You got to go to Harry Potter World. I worked at Universal as a high school student. But if you can get out of um, the touristy district and I drive, downtown Orlando is kind of fun, too. So We are going to be doing um, Harry Potter World because um, my sons and I and my wife, we've been reading out loud Harry Potter books. So we, we finished book two, and they just loved book one and book two. And then they wanted to start book three, like, right away. So it's been fun. Watch out for that wands shop. They will sell you a very expensive wand. Oh, I'm sure they will. Well, all right. Well, hope to see other people there, and uh, we'll be there together. So that will be a fun conference and thanks for talking about your work here thanks for inviting me appreciate it listening to this episode of the Math Ed Podcast, I want to just use this conclusion to let you know about a few opportunities that you might be interested in. First of all, there is the PMENA Research Conference that's coming up this fall. That's the Psychology of Math Education in North America, Um, but really it's just a math education research conference for all areas of uh, math ed research. And that conference is happening in November in St. Louis. We are hosting it here, some folks from Mizzou, myself with Zandra and Chuck Munter, and then also Amber Candela from the University of Missouri-St. Louis. And our team, we're putting on the conference. We're very excited about it. We have a great location in St. Louis. It's right on the banks of the river, um, right next to the fully renovated Gateway Arch Park, which is just beautiful green space walking along the river. Um, It's very nice. You really have to check it out. And there's lots of great museums, music, um, free activities, sporting events, um, all kinds of good food and beer uh, and other things in the St. Louis area. We're really excited about it. We want to make sure people are included. Um, And so... 
if you want to be involved in the conference, the best way to do that is to come and share what you're working on. If you have some math education research or ideas to share, um, there is still time right now to put in your proposal. So February 15th uh, is the date to remember if you want to propose a research report or a brief research report. So the research report is eight pages, brief research report four pages, plus you can have references beyond that, which is new this year. Um, February 15th is the date to submit those, so you can get that written. You can also do a poster, which is just one page. Um, let us know what you want to put on a poster and come share. That's due March 1st, and there are also working groups that people are putting together. That's also due March 1st. So I wanted to get those dates in your mind. Um, we're really hoping to see a good, diverse set of research and things people are working on to share at that conference. We also have some fun things ready for the conference. We're going to be having some puzzles um, strewn about throughout the weekend, and uh, we're going to have some jokes and games and different things going on. So we're really looking forward to it. We want to have a good time with everybody. We also have kind of an exciting new plenary format that we're doing um, that we are very excited to see how that turns out. So really looking forward to a good conference. Want to see some proposals by February 15th and March 1st. Um, if you want to see more information, you can go to the website, which is 2019.pmena.org. And then a couple more opportunities real quickly. Um, if you are interested in secondary mathematics education and want to do a study abroad experience, I wanted to um, let people know about the Budapest Semesters in Mathematics Education. That's a study abroad program in Hungary, and it's specifically designed for secondary mathematics education. Um, especially undergraduates can go um, while you're in your undergraduate pre-service teacher pro preparation program. You could go to Hungary and see how they do their mathematics education, which is a very problem-solving, very robust kind of critical thinking way of exploring mathematics. Um, it's very cool. I've been over there myself and it was a great trip. Um, you can hear about some of my experiences there and the director of the program in episode 1717 of the podcast. Um, but you can apply, also teachers can apply for this program. Um, they have a summer program now that's very exciting and even teachers can take advantage of to get rejuvenated and sort of see a different, uh, richer, kind of um, robust way of doing mathematics education over in Hungary. There is a March 1st deadline for the summer program, and that is filling up. It's very, fairly popular, so I recommend people get on that as soon as you can. But there's also a fall and spring program that people can do during the academic year. So if that sounds interesting, if you're looking for an excuse to go over to Europe and uh, just get out into a different culture of mathematics education, I highly recommend it. The website for that program is bsmeducation.com, Budapest Semesters in Mathematics Education. And then the last thing I'll mention is just if you are a teacher who is interested in a master's degree focused on math education or an ed specialist degree above a master's and you want to do that online at a very reasonable cost um, but having a good chance to interact with other math teachers and have courses that are very relevant to your job, I um, just want to let you know that we have those programs available online here at Mizzou and you can find out more at mizzoumathed.org.